Great to see you today, and we are continuing uh, our Exodus series, Off-Road, and this weekend we're thinking about listening up, the God who still speaks and still wants to speak with us. So let's dive right in, shall we? Exodus chapter 7 and, uh, and verse 8. Exodus 7 verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dick Foth came up here and gave us the really good news that Ruth, his wife, who had had this, uh, this terrible heart episode that she is doing well, and she was in church again last night and continues to do well. But you know, don't you, that being, it being Pastor Dick, that not only has he watched his wife go through this stuff, but he has since then done such extensive research on pacemakers, defibrillators, and indeed everything to do with human anatomy, that he is now more qualified to uh, do heart surgery probably than most surgeons. How many know he knows stuff, doesn't he? And we, we, we love him for that. And he was, he was telling me about the defibrillator that uh, Ruth has had fitted, the defibrillator that is there with her all the time in her body. And the idea is that if her heart suddenly uh, has some kind of uh, misfunction, uh, this defibrillator kicks in and, and it shocks her heart and, and uh, it, it, it will save her life. And I was listening to this and I thought, that's really cool and that's really horrid. Because I said to Dick, I said, hey, Dick, I, I've got this allergy. I'm, I'm allergic to pain. And does it hurt? Would it hurt? He said, oh, yeah, it could knock you down. It could knock. Can you imagine that? that when suddenly you're walking down the road and bam, you are hit by this machine that saves your life and tells you that there is a problem with your heart. I wish there was something like that that I could have fitted for my heart when it comes to my heart before God. There's a bumper sticker that says, stupidity should be painful. I kind of like that, and it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Every time you did something stupid, got to zap you. You know, just five volts would be enough, Lord, thank you. Just a little tingle. No, I don't, I don't want to be knocked on my back. But unfortunately, no such device exists. And that would have been very helpful for Pharaoh. And as we look at Scripture, we can see that there is this heart condition described in Scripture that we need to think about today. Hardness of heart. Look at what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews chapter 3, again, later on in the chapter, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. The writer of the Hebrews is really trying to get this message home. And then again, one chapter later, Hebrews chapter 4, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the people, uh, people's hearts had become calloused. It's another way of describing this. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Hardness of heart is something that the Bible repeatedly warns us about, and it was certainly something that Pharaoh was suffering from. And so God did all kinds of amazing signs and miracles for, for three reasons, really. First of all, uh, because he wanted to show Pharaoh who the boss really was. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. Uh, secondly, he wanted to get Pharaoh's attention to get him to listen up. And, and thirdly, and the Apostle Paul expands on this in Romans chapter 9, uh, God was getting glory and showing his majestic power as he worked these signs and wonders, even in the face of Pharaoh's uh, opposition. It's true to say, ladies and gentlemen, that God speaks and he hasn't stopped. God still speaks today. And it's sad that in our culture, anyone who says, God spoke to me, is kind of considered to be a little bit weird. Uh, the comedian Lily Tomlin says, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? It's a really interesting question. And, and, and sadly, we've all met Christians, haven't we, who everything they do, they say, well, God told me. You ever met a Christian like that? There's no discussion. There's no argument. They just say, well, God told me. In fact, I've met Christians, and God is really chatty with them. He is endlessly downloading information, a revelation a minute, and you kind of think, this is, this is sort of weird, and sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. I was in one church where a lady stood up, and she said, I'd like to share a song with you today that the Lord gave me last night. And as we listened to the ensuing shrieking with great agony, we probably concluded that if God did indeed give that woman that song, it was probably because he didn't actually want it. <laughs> and because of the pendulum swings and the craziness, we can get to a point where we react against the craziness and render God as a silent spectator. I want to make this really clear today. God speaks today, and he's still in the speaking business. So let's have a look at this. First of all, God speaks, and he knows what he's talking about. God speaks, and he knows what he's talking about. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, God knows what's going on. There's a phrase I've started using since I've lived in America, and I don't really understand it. And the phrase goes like this. Now, that's what I'm talking about. I never said that before I came here. And it's, uh, it's a saying that people, now, that's what I'm talking about. And I did a bit of research on it in the Urban Dictionary, and it defines it like this. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Something you say when you see something really cool, you can say it even if you've never talked about the subject before. <laughs> what? 
Now, that's what I'm talking about, even though I have never actually talked about it. No, that's perfectly normal behavior. Well done. In Exodus, God says, I know what I'm talking about, and I really do know. He knows, and he often knows ahead of time in Exodus. And if we're going to hear God's voice, not only do we need to develop a sensitivity to his voice, but we need to settle the issue of authority, because we are living in a culture flooded by relativism, where one absolute truth is that there is no such thing as absolute truth in so many people's minds. And so when God speaks, the temptation is just to say, well, that, that's true for you. It's, it's relativism, and it's that, view, that approach to life is quite wrong. 25 years ago, the late Alan Bloom, who was a professor at the University of Chicago, shocked the academic world with the opening line of his best-selling book, The Closing of the American Mind. And he said this, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of, almost every student in America believes or says he believes that truth is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. That's the common notion and myth. At a recent meeting of college professors, the, the point was raised that it is almost impossible to get good, rugged discussion going in the classroom these days, particularly about ethical issues, because the moment someone says, I believe this, someone else says, you're being judgmental. And that phrase, you are being judgmental, effectively shuts down rugged dialogue and makes us feel intimidated about expressing our conviction about the truth. Being civil and being gracious as a Christian doesn't just mean that we go with the flow. And there are times that we need to graciously, generously say, no, as a follower of Jesus, I believe in absolute truth, and I have placed my life under the authority of God. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is judge not that you be not judged. We all have to make judgments. That verse is talking about inappropriate, unjust, unrighteous judgments. You make a judgment every time you cross the road. You make a judgment morally every time you take a behavioral choice. Let's realize that there are absolutes. Pastor Brent mentioned the tennis. I wasn't going to bring it up, but as... He did. One of the most exciting things about the tennis last weekend was the fact that you have exported John McEnroe to Britain. Did you know that? That great paragon of politeness, John McEnroe. He, uh, he's a fantastic commentator on the BBC. It's so entertaining to listen to him. Does anyone remember? I was just a child at the time, but does anyone remember when McEnroe was playing, he used to get into a lot of trouble, and his probably his most famous saying was, you cannot be serious. And I wonder today whether some of us have been saying to God, you cannot be serious. And he is. And he knows. And he is our final authority. Maybe it's time to submit. Secondly, God speaks through a variety of different methods. God speaks through a variety of different methods. Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Kind of odd, but that's the way 
God initially is getting Pharaoh's attention. Let's realize that God speaks in a variety of ways. He speaks through his word. We need to let scripture get under our skin, read it, reflect on it, respond to it. But can I just say this? God speaks through scripture and scripture is final authority, but he doesn't only speak through scripture. And some people say, well, isn't that undermining the Bible? No, the Bible doesn't teach that God only speaks through the Bible. So if we have a high view of the Bible, we should understand that God speaks in all kinds of different ways. He can speak to us through creation. Elizabeth Barrett Browning says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The heavens declare the glory of God. God can speak to us through our conscience, that nudge that we feel when we do something wrong. Although, by the way, don't make your conscience into God because it's not infallible and it can be affected by all kinds of influences. God speaks through the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through prophecy. He can speak through dreams and visions. He can speak through insights and nudges. That often is what happens to me. I've been encouraged by the late Dallas Willard, who, who talked about asking God a question. And then he says, I, he said, I ask God a question, and then I get on with ordinary life. I go pay the bills. I go run some errands. I don't put myself under pressure to hear from God. But he said, often in that relaxed mode, those are times when nudges and impressions and conversation with friends and insights come. And then God can do some startling things too. The reason I'm standing up here today is because I was called into Christian ministry at the age of 17, and it was shocking. I'd only been a Christian for three weeks, 21 days, 17 years of age. And I was beginning to feel this weird stirring that one day I would preach and teach and, and, and be involved in full-time Christian leadership. That was crazy. I was supposed to be an elevator engineer. All my, all my family, my dad, my uncles, my cousins, they all worked for the Otis Elevator Company. My brother did that too. So I was going to become an elevator engineer. It would have been rubbish. No one would have got up or down anywhere. I went off to a youth retreat, and there was a guest speaker who came in from out of town. He didn't know any of us. Now, just imagine me. I'm, I'm 17. I've got hair down to here. Oh, for those days. And here's this guest speaker, and I've got this thing going on in my mind that God is calling me. It's crazy. I haven't told anybody. This guest speaker stands up, and he said, he said, on the way here today, God spoke to me about three of you that he has called into full-time ministry, and he said, he told me your first and last names. Whoa. I mean, I, I just, it gives me goosebumps just to remember it. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's, that's weird. Well, I didn't say anything on the Saturday evening. I had this encounter with God, this experience. And this guy stands up, this guest speaker, and, he's, and he described exactly what was happening to me. And I'm thinking, I do not like this man at all. He knows stuff. <laughs> at the end of the service, I went up to him. I did not introduce myself. It was the first time I'd ever spoken to him. I asked him a question. He answered my question. I said, thank you, sir. I turned to walk away. He tapped me on the shoulder. He said, young man... Your name is Jeff Lucas, isn't it? And at that moment, I wasn't precisely sure what my name was. 
And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, God has called you into ministry, son, hasn't he? I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, get on with it. So I did. So I, mean, I cried myself to sleep that night. God knew my name and address. Now I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are sitting there going, whoa. I would like to have an experience like that. Listen, the volume of God speaking to you is not a measure of your spirituality. Pharaoh was not spiritual, but God was doing big stuff to try and get his attention. That's my theory about my calling. I think God said to the angel Derek, an extremely junior angel, look, it's Lucas, bless his heart. He's not that bright. Anytime he tries to fix stuff, his entire family moves into fasting and prayer. He's a bit stupid if he gets stuck on the freeway in traffic. He becomes a temporary atheist. I don't know what's wrong with him. So what we'll do is we will shock him with something that will mean that he will never be able to forget it. So when I think rats to this, I don't want to do this anymore. I can never forget the day God told a stranger my first and last name. By the way, if you are not a Christian today, I have news. There is a God. He's alive. He speaks. But if you've not had the big experience, blessed are those who have seen, who rather who have not seen, and yet have believed. The volume is not an indicator of your spirituality. God speaks in different ways. Thirdly, God speaks in the context of the battle between good and evil. He speaks in the context of the battle between good and evil. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Um, there, there are some people who want to suggest that the Egyptian magicians were like David Copperfield, that this was just a stunt, it was slate of hand. One commentator says that uh, if you pressed the neck of a snake in a particular way, you could paralyze it and make it go rigid. That's kind of weird. Where, where's the snake's neck? <laughs> it's one big neck, isn't it? Never thought about that. Yeah, I did actually yesterday. It's weird. Actually, that's not what's being said here. There was dark occultic power that these guys were operating in, and there was warfare going on between the powers of good and evil. Years ago, we had some friends come and visit us in England, and we were driving in this very deserted area of England where there are military firing ranges, artillery ranges, where they practice with tanks and stuff and it was a foggy day and without being aware of it I drove onto a military range and my wife said honey what are those red flags and I said I don't know we don't have Labor Day or whatever I don't know what it is but it I don't know what it was the red flags were flags saying you are on an artillery range. And then we came across this sign that was so comforting. It said, there may be unexploded ordnance around. Do not get out of your car. I was in the middle of a war zone, and I didn't even realize it. 
And I think that there are times when, for us as Christians, we forget that we are at war. This was warfare. Let me show you a picture that will probably be quite familiar to you. This is a, this is a pharaoh's mask. You might have seen something like this, Tutankhamun. Notice the snake. Why the snake? Because when Pharaoh came to power, he'd swear an oath to the snake god. He wanted to be as terrifying as a cobra. The snake was Pharaoh's symbol. So what's Moses doing? He is throwing the snake to the ground. He is saying, I'll tell you who's really the boss. Let me use an offensive illustration because this is offensive. It would be like walking into the Oval Office with a bald eagle, wringing its neck and throwing it on the floor. That's the offensiveness of this gesture. And then do you notice that these other snakes appear and Aaron's snake gulps them down, swallows them up. This idea of swallowing. The Egyptians believed if you swallowed something, you got its power. Later on in Exodus 15, it says the Egyptians were swallowed up by the Red Sea. Still later on in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. You see, what God is showing us here is that there are dark powers and good powers. And this is a battle between good and evil. Are we aware of that? C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, famously said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. We don't need to be obsessed by the enemy. And by the way, this is not a battle between co-equal powers. The only thing that Pharaoh's magicians could do was imitate what God had done. Uh, Satan's a knockoff artist. He just imitates. Tom Wright says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the powers of darkness are a beaten, defeated lot, and no follower of Christ needs to be overawed by them ever again. But let's just be aware that we're in a battle. Have you ever asked the question, how could the enemy take me out, you? How could the enemy take you out? Someone has said, the devil's boots don't creak. He's a lot cleverer than often we give him credit for. We are in a spiritual battle. Where might we be vulnerable? Well, the last thing is that God speaks to those who are willing to listen. God speaks to those who are willing to listen. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. I don't know whether we've got any John Wayne fans here, but one of my favorite quotes from John Wayne is where in one of those westerns he says, you're short on ears and long on mouth. <laughs> kind of clever rudeness, isn't it, really? God speaks to those who will listen up uh, to him. Have you ever heard that saying, talk to the hand? I hate, it's so rude, isn't it? Talk to the hand because the ears ain't listening. That's how the whole saying goes. Pharaoh was not listening. Now, uh, just a quick thing I need to talk about here. The Bible talks about Pharaoh's hardness of heart in three different ways. Firstly, it says that uh, Pharaoh was hard of heart. 
And uh, it, it, sometimes it talks about him hardening his own heart. Secondly, sometimes it talks about his heart being hard, but for no reason that it's explained. And thirdly, sometimes it talks about God hardening his heart. Now, this is quite important. Romans chapter 9 wrestles with this subject because there Paul talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. There's an issue here. Does that mean that God messes with people's free will? Does that mean that God just used Pharaoh like a puppet and that he had no choice? There, I've got to tell you, there are some commentators who believe that. They say God can do anything he likes. That's not true, is it? Because God has bound himself by his own moral character. Otherwise, next week, God could change his mind and turn into doing evil. There are some difficult issues here. What I'd like us to notice is a couple of things. First of all, Pharaoh initially hardens his own heart. And he has plenty of opportunity to respond to God. And there are many commentators who basically say that they believe that Pharaoh began by hardening his heart. God, God then said, all right then, if that's the way you want it, we'll confirm you in your decision, but now I will get glory to myself because the miraculous signs will show my people that I'm really God. God not necessarily being the primary agent of that hardness of heart, but God who's a redeemer using that. It, it's, it's difficult. And later on in Romans, in chapter 11, Paul expresses the mystery, talks about the unsearchable wisdom of God. Some of these things are difficult to understand, but this much is definitely true. Let's keep tender hearts. Let's not be presumptuous. Let's realize that whenever we say no to God, we do not stand on neutral ground because our rebellion means that although our circumstances may not have shifted, our hearts have. And there is a danger of callous and hardness of heart. Let me show you just how this happened for Pharaoh and then, and then we're going to pray. Look at the progression of his hard-hearted disease. Chapter 7 and verse 22, initially he's disinterested in what Moses and Aaron have to say. He would not listen to them. And then he temporarily responds until the problem was gone. When Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart, would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then he refuses even to listen to his own advisors. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not listen. Then he tries to make a deal. Let's compromise. Go, sacrifice to the Lord your God here in the land. He even resorts to pious language in his hardness of heart. Now pray for me. And he's casually interested in what's going on. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding. Then he repented but didn't follow through. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. Then he got mad with the messenger. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly, you're bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And then he panics. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Finally, it's threat time. Moses said to Moses, uh, Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. 
the day you see my face, you will die. We have just overviewed a whole bunch of chapters, but I wanted us to see snapshots of how this hardness of heart can develop. Let's stay tender and responsive. As we pray, uh, I want to just share a few words from uh, a beautiful poem that I discovered this week from a lady called Elizabeth Rooney. A poem that talks about the fact that we do not live under a, a canopy, a barrier between us and God, but that in Christ, He is with us and wants to speak to us. Let me just share these words and then, then we're going to pray. Now is the shining fabric of our day, torn open, flung apart, rent wide by love. Never again the tight enclosing sky, the blue bowl or the star illumined tent. We are laid open to infinity. For Easter love has burst his tomb and ours. Now nothing shelters us from God's desire, not flesh, not sky, nor stars, not even sin. Now glory waits so he can enter in. Now does the dance begin. There is a God. He speaks. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word today and we, we've been thinking about heart disease, hardness of heart, we want to come to you, Lord, with submission, not just sensitivity. You know what you're talking about. And in this swirling, confusing culture where truth is often sacrificed without bigotry or arrogance, we want to quietly affirm today that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come to us with the 10 suggestions. We believe in you as truth. I'm going to ask a couple of questions here as we continue to pray. But I, I want to ask you, if, if you've been saying to God, you cannot be serious, and wriggling and wrestling uh, and resisting, and you right now would like to say, God, I accept your authority in this area of my life. I submit to you. I hear your voice even as your word is preached. I wonder if that's true for you. Why don't you slip up your hand for a moment, please? It's a key decision that is not just a hand up in the air moment at the weekend. Thanks for responding. We pray for those, Lord, who are wanting to submit to your loving authority, knowing that you know what you're talking about. Strengthen them. We realize today, Lord, that we're, at a, we're in the middle of a war. We are in battle. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to strengthen and energize us. Show us, Lord, where the enemy would like to take us out. 
We do not want to be ignorant of his strategies, as the Apostle Paul says. So we'd like to ask you that question, Lord. Where might I be vulnerable? Where do I need to be aware? Before I finish this prayer with our heads still bowed, I wonder how many of us today, we've been thinking about becoming followers of Jesus. We hear about people being baptized at horse tooth, making their choices. Maybe we've been thinking about this just recently. Maybe we've been thinking about it for a long while. But the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you would like to make that choice to become a follower of Jesus, to invite him to come into your life, take charge, forgive you for your sins, cleanse you, begin a whole new life with him under his authority. It's possible and available now because of what Jesus has done at the cross and in his resurrection. So as our heads are bowed, if that's where you're at, you're saying, all right, I want to respond to God's winning and wooing of me and become one of his followers. Can I ask you please just to slip up your hand for a moment? Would you do that now? Thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. Please put your hand down and right where you're seated, those of you that have just raised your hands, just tell him in your own heart, in your own words, I surrender to you. Show me what that looks like, Lord. I cross the line. I deliberately make a choice to become one of your followers. Save me, rescue me, forgive me. Take charge now. I submit to you. This is not just a prayer on a Sunday morning. This is a life junction for life and for eternity. I hear your voice whisper to me, Lord. I respond. And for each one of us, Lord, who've been responding in our different ways, and especially for those who are becoming Christians today, we thank you for them. Please reveal yourself to them in your fullness. We agree together and we give you thanks. You are alive and you're still talking. Everyone said, amen. Can I just say to those of you that have just become Christians, first of all, that is wonderful. Secondly, it can be a bit confusing, this junction, this turning. And at the end of our service, our prayer team will be here. We've got some information for you that will help you and will equip you. And I don't know what, I'd, I, don't know what I need to do to, to get across how important that is. It's, it's more important than the chicken you're going to eat later. It really is. So please take a moment when our service ends. Our prayer team members will be here. They're good people, nothing weird or crazy, but they'd love to just pray with you briefly and give you some information about what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to give now in our offering. Uh, thank you so much, Timberline family. We say it all the time, and it's meant. But thanks for your faithfulness and integrity in giving in tithes and offerings. If you're a guest, you don't have to give. Just pop that connection card in if you would. Ushers, go ahead, begin to receive it. One of the features of being here, one of the blessings of being here, is that when it comes to worship, no one ever kind of tells you what you've got to do. You know, you've been around that where everyone has to do the same thing at the same time. And 
and we want to release each other to be free to worship. But we've, we've just been talking about having our hands high in surrender. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I, I want to invite you, if you'd like to, just to close your eyes for a moment. Sometimes we just need permission. And if you want to just open your hands to God as a physical symbol of surrendering heart, surrendering this week, surrendering your decisions, you're invited to just do that now. You don't have to. You're free. If you want to do it, physically expressing to Him in a tangible way. I'm open. I want a tender heart before you, God. So you've heard our words, Lord, and you hear our hearts. Here's this week. It's new. However you choose to do it, we want you to know, Lord, that while we're not looking for a message a minute, we're open to your voice. Your sheep hear your voice. Give us wisdom, direction, grace, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, based on the weather we've been having over the last couple of days, I can confidently tell you that we, in the next few days, are going to have sun, rain, snow, lightning, one of the above. Enjoy the next few days. God bless you. Prayer team are here. We'd love to pray with you if we can. Please don't forget that. It's so important. Travel safely.